Well, good morning, and again, welcome to Journey. Uh, it's good to have each of you out this morning, and especially our guests. It's always good to have you folks join us, and uh, our regulars as well. Um, you know, we are in a series that we began last Sunday, and uh, we're going to be in this for a little while because we believe this is an incredible uh, responsibility, a blessing, a burden, whatever you want to call it, that God's placed upon us, and that is to communicate Him to others. And you know, um, when, as I, more I read about uh, Jesus' life and His teachings, uh, there's a, a subject that comes up a lot that's kind of interesting. Some of you will really connect with it. It's about fishing. And Jesus talked a lot about fishing and compared His work to fishing. And I think that's kind of cool because I like to fish. And uh, through the years, you know, I would take my kids fishing and, um, uh, you know, all of them would go. But, but Laura, who is our youngest, is probably the most interested in fishing of all. And, and she and I would spend a lot of evenings at farm ponds and, you know, taking long hikes through the woods to try to find a, a good spot to fish. Uh, but on one memorable occasion, uh, I remember uh, real well in my mind, we were fishing and I was trying to get a reel to cast. You know how sometimes if you, they get hung up. Uh, the, uh, the cheap kind, anyway, that we have, and they get hung up, you know, you just can't throw them, can't get them to go, and so I was just really frustrated, and I swung it wild, and I hit my precious baby girl in the face with the cork. Uh, I, I have no idea how that happened, but it left a huge bruise uh, that I felt so guilty about at the time, and it took a lot of explaining to do at school when she said, my dad hit me in the face with a cork. Uh, you know, that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, but it could have been worse because I, I've read that in ERs and areas where there's a lot of fishing, like commercial fishing and uh, sport fishing, that uh, in the ER there are incredible accidents like uh, hooking yourself or other people with a lure, uh, maybe getting bit by a fish or an infection or drownings or something. And I was reading that the deadliest catch, you guys have probably heard that or seen that show, the deadliest catch fishing up in the Bering Sea for crab is the most deadly profession in the world. The most dangerous thing you can do is to fish. You know, be serious about that, guys. Think about that. It has some risk. Now, I think that's a good thing to remember when it comes to thinking of Jesus' call to follow him and become fishers of men. And you might say, well, Andy, that seems like it's pretty a safe thing to do. I mean, sitting down and talking to people about Jesus, how dangerous could that really be? But let me tell you a story. When I was early in ministry, we were visiting this young family and they had a bunch of kids, and these were unruly kids. They, they just were very poorly behaved. And we sat down with them in their, their living room, and I think it was a trailer even, and uh, their kids were everywhere. We were trying to talk. They were distracted. They were running around like crazy. And uh, while I was trying to share the gospel, one of those kids picked up a fishing pole, literally. I'm serious. A fishing pole in the middle of the room. He, he got a hold of it by the flimsy end, you know, the, the tip of it, and he began to swing that around the room in a circle, well, all of us, uh, myself and one of our deacons and, and his parents and other kids were sitting there, and I want to tell you, you have never really shared the gospel until you've been in a situation where you're sharing the gospel and you're ducking every time the, the pole passed over our heads. I remember that so clearly. But let's just say, you know, the message didn't get through about Jesus or about good parenting, either one, I don't believe, with those kids. So it can be a risky thing, but it can be an exciting thing. I re I'll never forget that. And in this study that we're in now called Like Jesus, we're looking at how Jesus did ministry, and we're saying we want to be like Jesus. We don't want to just like Jesus. Everybody likes Jesus. What's there not to like? But we want to be like Jesus. We want to emulate Him and how we make disciples as well. And last week, we talked about the fact that, that being like Jesus is relational. 
It's a very important part of what it is that Jesus invested primarily in 12 disciples. He virtually lived with them for several months. He, he shared his life and principles and ups and downs and everything in life uh, with them. And from that, we said this is the principle that all true life change comes through relationships, that all true life change comes through relationships. I mean, think about that. If you have children, they are probably little you. Hopefully they are. If you've invested in them well, you've given them the values that you have, and, and you have chosen to disciple them. And we made the challenge to say, if God's given you children, you need to invest in them with all of your heart and raise them up to know the Lord. Disciple them. Don't let someone else or expect the church to do all that for you. Let them supplement it, but you take responsibility. And then we even had some uh, folks who were baptized last week to demonstrate, show you uh, the power of, of parents. And the second thing we learned about Jesus, not only was he relational, but Jesus was also very intentional. He was very intentional in what he did. Nothing in Jesus' life was an accident or just happened to happen. You know, it, it was very intentionally done. For example, Jesus began his ministry very intentionally. He went to his cousin, John the Baptist, who baptized him. Did Jesus need to be baptized? Not really. But to fulfill all righteousness, to be obedient, to model it for us, Jesus was baptized. Then Jesus led into the wilderness to be tempted very intentionally. And even though he was tempted many times by Satan, he resisted every time, even at his weakest point. When he left the wilderness, he came back into John the Baptist once again. John had gathered quite a bit of uh, followers himself. And John began to recognize who Jesus was, and he began to point two of his own followers, Andrew and another man named John, back toward Jesus. And Jesus ch challenges them, and he says, come and see. Come and see. This is the most low-level challenge you can give. Just show up. And by the way, this is a great challenge to give to other people who do not know Jesus. Just say, hey, come and see. We, we try to have a service on Sunday morning that is open and, and uh, uh, you know, available, understandable to, to anyone, everyone, regardless of their church background. And so we just say, hey, just come and see. Just come and have church with us. Just come and worship and see what you think. That's the lowest level of challenge that, that Jesus gave. And then these two disciples they came and saw. They looked, watched Jesus. They spent some time with him, had a long conversation. And then they went and they got their brothers. Peter was the brother of Andrew. James was the brother of John. And they came, the four of them, began to come and see Jesus. The second challenge Jesus gave was to another man named Philip. And he said to him, hey, follow me. Follow me. And that basically means to walk behind me, to emulate me, to be like me in my steps. Learn of me. This, incidentally, was the challenge that was given by a rabbi in that day. They literally would gather and recruit these people to come and literally walk behind them in their steps, saying everything, doing everything. This is how they learned, by just repetition and imitation. And then 18 months later, Jesus officially called his starting five disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, those four again, and a fifth named Matthew. And this time he deepens the challenge to them by saying, come and follow me, which is the relational part we talked about, and I will make you the intentional part. I will make you fishers of men, which is the missional part of what God or Jesus challenged them to come and do. Later on, near the end of his ministry, Jesus gave them one more challenge to go and bear fruit, to make more disciples. So it's kind of neat to see that Jesus, through all of this, he didn't just go through life, and whatever happened, he kind of rolled with it, that Jesus had a plan, and he was very intentional. And the reason I share that with you is because I think we need to be intentional as well. 
We need to be intentional and be like Jesus when it comes to sharing our faith because we know what we're doing. You know, you say, well, wait a minute, Randy. Our culture is different. We all have jobs and homes and obligations. How in the world are we going to follow after Jesus? Or for that sake, how are we going to follow after one another? How are we going to do that? I think because our culture is so different in our busy lives that we especially have to be intentional. We have to be focused. We have to understand that we have a mission and a purpose and we're going to do it, and we have to figure out how to do it. Because I think God has called us to live that way. Now, what does it mean to be intentional in our life? Well, the word intentional means to be purposeful, that we have a purpose, that we are very deliberate in whatever we do, and that we have a goal in mind, that we are proactive, we are not reactive. i got to be honest, with most of us are just reactive. Whatever happens in our life, we kind of try to answer. We kind of respond to it. We don't really have a plan or a purpose or intention or no deliberation. We're just kind of rolling with whatever comes. That's not a good way to live life. I mean, some things we have to roll with, but we ought to be more proactive than reactive. Intentional living means that we know what we do and why we do it, and we know what we don't do and why we don't do that. Some things we choose not to do, just like some things we choose to do because we're intentional. Intentional living means doing the things that are not easy to do, but they're important to do. And so we make time and we plan our lives around those things. That's how Jesus did. Jesus was very focused and disciplined to do only the things that would accomplish his mission and glorify his heavenly father. So we're going to take some time to look at that plan and kind of formulate what it looks like in our lives as well. For example, you look at the overview of Jesus' life. Jesus called his disciples to commit to spending time with him, just observing and listening And then he began to involve them into ministry themselves, things like feeding the people. Jesus said, here, I'm going to create this food, take this little boy's lunch. I want you to take it. I want you to break it. When you break it and give it to people, there will always be more, and they'll break it. You just keep breaking it. It'll just keep providing. And it did. He fed thousands of people on one little lunch. And the disciples had a part of doing that. Serve the people. Care for the children. Help the sick people. Whatever it might be, Jesus said, just go and do. Just be involved. And then Jesus began to involve them at another level in leadership. And he began to multiply their leadership by sending them out on their own, sometime with another person to kind of go with them. And then ultimately, at the end of his life, Jesus left the mission in their hands. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that you and I today, we're the next generation. That the mission is left in our hands. we got to figure out how to do it so we can pass it on to the next generation beyond and the next generation beyond that. We don't ever want the mission to lose focus or to die. So we're going to look at some things that Jesus did and why he did that and the things that he taught his disciples and what he teaches us. And you know, if you were to look at the life of Jesus, an overview, and I never really thought about this, but if you ever look at Jesus' life, you can see that Jesus led his disciples on some mission trips and some fishing trips. So the analogy just keeps uh, rolling about fishing there. Mission trips and fishing trips. Now, what was a mission trip? A mission trip was a longer venture by which Jesus would take his disciples out of their comfort zone and sometimes into cross-cultural experiences. So he would take them away from their feeling, their place of safety or normal where they lived, and, and he would lead them away and he would teach them through it. And Jesus led them on about five of these trips. Now, obviously, we can, and we're not going to look at all five of them, but I want you to look at one of them with me to kind of see how this helped shape the disciples. What was this all about? Sometimes we just read the Bible and we say, well, that's pretty interesting, but we don't see the reason behind it why Jesus did this. 
So why did Jesus take them out? Well, let's look at this story. It's pretty interesting. The first mission trip that was early in Jesus' ministry, probably in the first 18 to 20 months of his time with his disciples, it's in John chapter 4, and, and we're just going to read the first verse to kind of set the, the, the setting here. John 4 says, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Now, Jesus was being intentional. That word had is pretty important. Why did Jesus go? Because he had to, because he had someone he was going to meet there. He was to meet up with this person for their sake, but I think also for his disciples' sake as well. So they had left their home. They had left Judea. They had gone to Sychar, which was in Samaria, probably unfamiliar territory for all of them. You know, Jesus' primarily earthly ministry, uh, earthly ministry was primarily to Jewish people. But they're way out of that, even that nation. They're over in another country, in an area that they, they did not have any friends or connections. Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. And so they've been traveling for some time. They're tired of traveling. And they come to a well, and Jesus sends them into town to find some food. Now, here again is a mission. Jesus, I want you to go find some food. Now, that sounds easy to us. You know, just pop into, uh, you know, Kroger and grab some chicken or something. But it wasn't that, that simple in that day. You know, it, it was difficult. There was probably a language barrier. There was definitely some racial issues going on in, in between them. And so these had to, they had to go into town and try to figure this out. It was a new culture, kind of scary for them. But they, they accomplished that. They're feeling good. They come back. They find Jesus in a conversation with probably the least likely person that they could imagine. And not only was it a Samaritan, which they could never imagine Jesus talking to a a native of this country, but it was also a woman, which was even more unusual. On that day, men and women just didn't talk unless they were related or knew each other well. They didn't, you did not strike up a conversation with a strange woman, and a woman with a, with a strange man. And, and it wasn't even a proper woman. Obviously, it was pretty obvious to them that this woman was not proper. She had been married and divorced five times. She was living with a man at the time that was not culturally accepted at all. Everybody pretty, pretty much knew her, probably almost branded with the scarlet letter type uh, scenario, but, but this woman's searching, and after a conversation with Jesus, she tastes of the living water. I said, I want to give you some water, and she drew water from a well. He, he gave her living water, the gospel, and she becomes a believer, and not only that, the entire town seemingly comes outside, and they believe as well, so he invert, uh, converts everybody in the town. Now, obviously, this is a pretty noteworthy story, isn't it? It's a pretty big story. It's one that we think about. We call this a Samaritan woman story. Pretty significant there. And, uh, and the very fact that Jesus went outside of the Jewish people and he incorporated these other folks, other nationalities brought him in, that's pretty big. But I want you to think for a few, months, few moments about what the disciples learned from this and what we can learn from just the story. You know, the, the content is incredible, but just the story that, that, of this really happening here. What did they learn? Well, they discovered the relevancy of the gospel for everyone, for everybody. This was a brand new thing. To this point in their lives, only Jewish people could know God. They just had written everybody else off. Do we not sometimes write other people off? Do we not just say, oh, they wouldn't be interested? Those people, they don't live like that. They don't have the same values as we have. We just kind of write people off. This was a brand new thing that Jesus was opening up to everyone. Another lesson was never judge or never ignore another person. How Understand that people are searching, that, that people can be redeemed regardless of their past. Always be willing to share with anyone and everyone. 
how the lost people are desperately searching and may never say that, but they're very responsive. There were other lessons that the disciples learned there. And you know what? Jesus could have taken them outside the, the town in the, in the wilderness and put them on a hillside and taught these lessons, and they would have maybe gotten them, but nothing was like the true experiences. So think about that story and think about how it applies to us today to go outside of ourselves and see the needs of other people. But there was also a statement that Jesus made in this uh, account as well. He made it to his disciples when they came back with the food, and Jesus said, lo and behold, I'm not hungry anymore. And they're like, Jesus, you were starving a little while ago. You sent us into town. I mean, they're almost probably indignant. You know, we went into all this work. We got you food. You got to eat it. And here's what Jesus said. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Isn't that cool? Jesus said, I've already eaten, thank you. I'm eating right now. I'm enjoying this. I'm being filled by God. I'm being blessed right now. See, Jesus said, though, I have to complete not only the will of God, but the work of God as well. Have you ever noticed that? The will of God and the work of God. Now, what is the will of God? The will of God would be that Jesus would die on the cross to forgive sins. He was actively fulfilling that. But then he also said, but there's another thing. It's the work of God. What is the work of God? Well, the work of God is to prepare some people who are then going to be able to carry the message of his death and the resurrection around the world. And that's what he was doing. He was making disciples to continue that process. And you know what? The disciples had never thought, probably at this point, about anybody else. They had Jesus. They had it all. They were just soaking it in and enjoying it, which sounds a lot like American Christians when you think about it. We just soak it in. We're just so happy we found Jesus that we're not real concerned about anybody else. But Jesus says, no, we got to get outside of ourselves. We got to go on a mission trip. We got to get away from this place. And you know what it did? It took them to a place and a people that they never would have thought about needing Jesus and realized that they needed to be saved too. And then this later on, whenever Jesus went back into heaven, the church went under persecution. This allowed the disciples to easily leave Jerusalem and Judea and go into all the world and take the gospel. That's what Jesus was teaching them in this really simple story. And many times we never see what was going on. Pretty incredible. But also what the lesson is for us is that God has a will for our lives and God has a work for our lives. He has a will and a work, and the will of God is that you accept Christ and be saved. In fact, the Bible says that God isn't willing that anyone should perish, but everyone should come to repentance. That's the will of God for everyone. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to tell you what God's will is, you be saved, number one. But after you are saved, God has a work for you. He has a ministry. He has a task for you. And what is that ministry, and what are you doing to fulfill it? And I got to be honest, it may take you getting outside of your normal routine to figure it out. It may take a mission trip, honestly, for you to get out of your rut to see God's work for your life. I don't know how many people I've known who have who've taken mission trips, and in and, and that place, they've kind of got a new view of life and a new perspective on what's important. I talked this week to, to one of my friends who just got back from a mission trip to Haiti, and she just, you know, she just has such a passion about that. She would leave everything, I think almost her family, and just go to Haiti and just live there and just serve the, kid, the people who are there. It's such a passionate thing. It may take something like that. Or maybe just looking around you at the needs of people to say, you know what, now that I'm in the will of God, God has a work for my life. And Jesus used this mission trip. In fact, he made five of these mission trips 
to acclimate his disciples to new opportunities of ministry. Jesus was growing them and moving them, and we can learn a lot from that in being intentional. Now, to this point, Jesus also had only made two challenges to his disciples, come and see and follow me, and neither one of those were overly demanding. You know, we were just kind of watching, just seeing what was going on. But he was about to up the commitment level. He said to them, as we've read a couple times, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And this last part was kind of a call for them to come closer, to be near enough to Jesus so he could truly teach them and they could see not only his heart, but his actions, motives, method, everything around it. And these experiences we're going to call fishing trips. So a fishing trip was an intentional experience through which Jesus is modeling or training his disciples in creative ways to share the good news of the gospel. So these are situations, scenarios he's setting up, and he's going to show them and then empower them to go do it themselves. Of course, several of his disciples were already fishermen. And they knew what it was about, right? These are Peter and Andrew, James and John. We know they were fishermen by trade. And they knew the basic principles of fishing. They knew the, uh, the analogy there. It takes a lot of hard work to fish. You have to cast a big net when you fish. You make the lure attractive if you're trying to, to get them to bite. Don't be afraid to try new waters. Sometimes you have to leave everything you have and, and go find something greater. Maybe that was the greatest lesson. But Jesus was showing them you have to be intentional in doing these things you got to be intentional. You know, every now and then you'll see or watch on, on the, uh, a video, Facebook or something, about somebody who catches a huge fish by accident. You know, and they're just stunned that they've got this fish. I love watching those videos where they pull out of the water, you know. But you know what? Most truly successful fishermen do not catch fish by accident. They invest a lot of money, a lot of time, energy, experience, knowledge, skill, education, whatever it may be, to catch these fish because that's what it takes. They're very intentional. And if we're going to understand what God's call for our life is, we got to prepare ourselves. We have to be prepared, and that's what Jesus was doing here. I think it's also important to kind of see the time frame in Jesus' ministry. You know, many of us, we'll pick up the Bible, we'll just read uh, starting. We know that the four books of the, first books, uh, four books of the Old uh, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the life of Jesus. We'll pick up Mark chapter 1, and we'll read one, uh, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, Come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And we almost have this idea that Jesus is walking along the shore to some guys he'd never met, never, never seen before. They're cleaning their nets. Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They leave everything and just follow him like they're hypnotized. That's what I always thought it meant, you know, that Jesus was so powerful, these guys just left everything. But in reality, that wasn't true. Jesus knew these guys. Jesus already invested about a year and a half in some of them before he made this call. And so when he did that, they understood what it was to be a disciple. They were already sold out to, to, to believing in him. Now he said, it's time to take the gospel you've learned, and I want you to go and begin to do it on your own. I'm going to empower you to go. And so they leave everything, their nets, their father, their boats, everything, and they follow him and join him in the process. Because making disciples requires making a sacrifice and a commitment. And I guess by, they understood that whole idea when Jesus made the call because they followed him and did just that for the rest of their lives. And now these fishing trips, Jesus took, used, took about seven of these trips with his disciples and these training sessions. And again, we're not going to talk about all, but just the first one is in Mark chapter 1. In fact, shortly after Jesus called them to follow him, leaving their, their nets and their fish Here's what it says in Mark 1. They went to Capernaum, 
And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who has authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him and news about him spread quickly over the entire region of Galilee. Now I want you to put your pl- yourself just for a moment in the place of these disciples because I think this may have been the first time that they had experienced this sort of thing. They're just watching Jesus. They're listening to Jesus teach and just, you know, like, hey, we're with him. You know, we're all in. And all of a sudden, this guy burst into the room and he begins to call Jesus out. He's possessed with an evil spirit. He begins accusing and verbally attacking Jesus. And Jesus immediately and sternly commands the spirit to leave the man and the spirit obeys. And it says everybody is amazed at his authority his authority. Now, later on, Jesus said, hey, guys, by the way, you're going to do the same thing. That's going to be you whenever I'm gone. You're going to do the same thing. And I got a feeling that was pretty intimidating to them. What what if you got told that? Hey, you'll do this someday. You were terrified by the whole experience, experience, but now, now it's going to be on you, your responsibility. You know, I remember a few fishing trips that uh, identify with that a little bit. Uh, one of the most memorable trips I went on was with uh, some guys from the church. We went down to Lake Cumberland a few years ago to fish for stripers. I'd never done that. And uh, to be honest, we went on a guided trip. And I don't know if you've ever been fishing with a guide, but it, it really, you feel kind of spoiled. You feel a little bit rich, you know, because you don't do anything for the most part. You know, you just kind of show up. Uh, we showed up. We got on the boat. We sat down in some seats. We had shade over us. It was kind of nice. We had some you know, some water, some cold drinks. It was, it was pretty cool. We were just riding along. They've already baited the hooks. They've thrown the poles out, the rods. They've got about 20 of them strung out across the boat. Uh, we're just trolling, you know. It's just great enjoying the day, you know. And I'm just watching these guys thinking, I don't feel really necessary right here at this point. When suddenly the, the guide said, we got to fish on, and he stuck this pole into my hands. And in the moment, I was fighting uh, what turned out to be a 25-pound striper, which was, by the way, the biggest fish I've ever caught by far. And I want to tell you, it was a little intimidating. Uh, but man, it was exhilarating. It was awesome uh, to do that. I, I want to go back and do that again at some point. But you know what? I think that's kind of how disciple making is in a lot of ways. You know, we, first we have to sit and watch and we have to learn. We have to figure it out. kind of. But then it comes a point when Jesus sticks the rod in your hand and say, you know, it's your time now. You know, pick up the, the pole and, and, and get, it, get it together. In the process, you get to see the power of God at work, even though it's intimidating, but it can be exhilarating. And the amazing thing in this story is that these demons, they surrendered to Jesus because he has all the power. And all the people in the synagogue, they were just stunned and amazed. The disciples, were they were stunned and amazed, and they discovered the power that he was now going to give to them. You know, it seems like these type of immediate cures seemed to diminish or cease with the early church. This ability to cast out demons and, and raise the dead and, you know, restore people to life just by laying their hands on them at the moment, those immediate type cures seem to diminish or cease with the early church. But that same power is available to us today. 
We still have that authority and that power over evil and over, over sin. God still works miracles today. You know, uh, this last couple of weeks, we've seen some amazing, amazing miracles. I can't wait to share this with you in a little bit. Uh, this, just what God has done, one of our church family members healing through prayer. You see, Jesus has the power over every sin, every addiction, every habit, every struggle, every battle that we face today. And we've been given that power and that authority. He's delegated it to us, empowering us to use that for his glory. So this morning, let me just challenge you in this, that intentionality is the next step for many of us. Maybe it's time that you move from just being reactive to the good things God's done for you to being proactive to say, now i got to do some things to God because I'm being called up. I'm being called to not only be a disciple, to make disciples. Have you ever said this? Have you ever said, I know what I should do, but then you don't do it? Have, have you ever said, I know what the Bible says, but that's when you're always in trouble when you go any further than that. I know what I should do, but I know what the Bible says, but. And you know what? Not doing that Seems like, doesn't seem like sin, but it really is. Because in James chapter 4, it says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So not only is there a sin of commission, doing things wrong, committing sin, there's a sin of omission, and a lot of us are guilty of it. Well, guilty of it because we know what God's called us to do, but we've got too many butts in our life, and we just kind of stick it out there, and we say, I'm not going to do it. And we're just reacting to our world. We listen to the world. We listen to the values of the world. We respond to the world. And so doing, we become just like the world. Preoccupied with the very things the world's preoccupied with, focusing on the things the world's focusing on, and we forget the call, not only to be a disciple, but certainly to be making disciples. So my challenge to you is this. We want to be like Jesus And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be more intentional in changing the way we look at our life and what God's called us to be and changing the way that we use our time, that we focus more on people than we do on things, that we put a new perspective in the values of our life, more on people than on TV or on the internet or on games or sports or whatever it is, it's our thing. And we become more relational because when we do that like Jesus, we change the way that we see people. We change the way that we see them. We see them as far from God and in need of us just investing in them. Sometimes people just need somebody who cares or maybe a young believer that we need to invest in that needs to grow and has potential to to be a disciple maker themselves. And then we should commit to investing in them and intentionally investing time and energy into their growth. You know, Jesus is so intentional in making disciples, and he left that mission to us today. We call it the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them is a summary of it real quick. And that's a command not to ministers, not to church leaders, elders, deacons, to every one of us. First of all, to become a disciple, and then to make other disciples and followers of Christ as well. So my challenge to you today is very simple. What is your next step on your journey? What is your next step? If you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that and and answer the question, why would someone give up everything to follow Jesus Christ? Why would these people even die? We talked about their commitment. They even died to follow Jesus. Why would they do that? And why is that so important? But then I would encourage you to begin to pray, who does God want me to invest in and pour my life into 
to not only be a disciple, but to make one as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time together. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. We, we could never express the gratitude, the debt of gratitude that we have to you, God, for sending your son Jesus, not only to save us, but to model your pattern for us, to teach us. And Lord, help us as Christians who, who claim to love you and to be sold out to you. God, give us this heart, this passion for multiplying the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, through making more and more disciples. And in so doing, to glorify you, but also to save them, to lead them to Christ and to help them grow, that your kingdom might expand, that you might be glorified. Lord, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.